In our current sermon series on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, entitled The Call to Be a Courageous Christian, Emily focused last Sunday on Jesus' teaching about murder, about doing more than the minimum, not simply avoiding the act of murder, but controlling the root issue of anger so that it never is allowed to grow and lead to acts of violence. Two weeks ago, Dale focused on Jesus' teaching about his relationship to the Hebrew Bible, the Law and the Prophets, a passage which ended with these challenging words, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Today, as in Emily's sermon last week, we'll see an example of what that greater righteousness looks like. Today, in terms of the issue of marriage and divorce. The assumption underlying all of the texts that you'll hear today about marriage is that an active sex life is an important ingredient in a healthy marriage relationship. For example, the Song of Solomon and the Book of Proverbs both celebrate in joyful tones God's good gift of sexual expression within the context of marriage. Here's one such R-rated proverb written from the male perspective. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. May her breast satisfy you at all times. May you be intoxicated always by her love. So let's hear today's texts from Matthew's Gospel as Leslie Van Dordrick reads for us. The scripture today is Matthew 5, 27 to 32, and 19, 3 through 9. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Some Pharisees came to him, and to test him they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that the one who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command us to give a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her? He said to them, it was because you were so hard-hearted that Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for unchastity and marries another commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. 
Now, in both of those passages from Matthew's Gospel, Jesus speaks about marriage and divorce in sober tones. You have heard it was said, he commented, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Remember back in 1976 when President Jimmy Carter, who was very open about his faith in Christ, was interviewed and asked, have you ever lusted in your heart for another woman that is other than your wife, Rosalind? And when Carter honestly answered yes, that set off a tidal wave of criticism and response. Come on now, who among us has consistently kept to Jesus' high standard of absolute purity of thought. Jesus raises the bar of God's command against adultery dramatically. He says it's not only the act of adultery which should be avoided, but even the inner desire to want to sleep with someone other than your spouse. He says, in effect, we can commit adultery with our hearts and minds as well as with our bodies. So Jesus deepens and intensifies and interiorizes the command forbidding adultery. Again, in that way, uh, teaching a righteousness exceeding that of the scribes and Pharisees. Now, what is Jesus not forbidding? As we know, many people are very visual and easily stimulated by beautiful women or handsome men. Now, Jesus is not asking us to put on blinders, as there's a clear difference between looking and lusting. It's okay to notice and admire a beautiful woman or a handsome man. However, you've crossed the line when you begin to longingly gaze upon another person and fantasize about a sexual relationship with someone other than your spouse. In other words, Jesus is warning us against harboring and nurturing lustful thoughts and letting them take firm root in our hearts and minds. When we do so, we sinfully dehumanize another person and make that individual into an object we desire to use for our pleasure. Jesus tells us to take preventive action against lustful desires. He speaks in exaggerated, hyperbolic language. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, how might we apply those words today? How might we work to keep our thought lives pure? In negative terms, we should avoid certain kinds of films, books, magazines, and websites. And let's face it, even television is now more sexualized than ever. In positive terms, one way for battling lustful fantasies is to fill our lives with meaningful forms of Christian service, focusing our energies on God's kingdom. Another positive strategy for those of us who are married is to put real energy into our love lives. We need to create time and space for lovemaking. If we're married and are consistently too tired for sex, then unless health issues are involved, something is likely wrong. Set the mood. Find the time. Make the space. Get quality time together to reconnect. Even the Apostle Paul, who as far as we know remained single and celibate, 
counseled married people to have active sex lives and warned about the dangers of abstinence for a prolonged period, unless by mutual agreement. Here's a true story about a middle-aged woman who wanted to keep the spark of romance burning in her marriage. It was Halloween evening. She and her husband had been answering the door all evening. Finally, it was getting late, and the wife announced she was going to shower and get ready for bed. Her husband said, though, he'd keep the porch light on for a few more minutes in case any more trick-or-treaters arrived. And so the wife went to their bedroom, disrobed, <laughs> and then put on a raincoat and a Halloween mask her husband had never seen. And she, she snuck around the side of the house to the front porch and rang the doorbell. And when her husband answered, she said seductively, trick or treat, and then threw open her raincoat. Her husband was so shocked, he instinctively stepped back a couple feet, fell backwards over a stool, and broke his leg. <laughs> this is a true story. So if I hear about a sudden increase in broken bones in our congregation, I'll begin to wonder. <laughs> Before we explore Jesus' words about divorce, we need to be aware of the law on divorce from the Torah, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. According to that legislation, only the husband has the privilege, at least in those days, to initiate a divorce if his wife, quote, does not please him because he finds something objectionable about her. Unfortunately, the text doesn't define what something objectionable might mean. The law required that the husband, before he dismissed the wife, announce his decision to divorce her and issue a certificate of divorce. That way her status would be known and she would be free to remarry. Without a certificate of divorce, she could be in limbo, rejected by her husband, but not free to remarry either, to not be able to marry again was a terrible prospect for a woman in Jesus' time. Since it meant in most cases to grow old with no children as well as with no social position or means of financial support. A woman might be desperate enough in that circumstance to consider supporting herself via prostitution. That law in Deuteronomy was an early attempt to discourage divorce via a hasty decision, and the continual casual exchange of partners through serial marriage and divorce, because it forbid a man from remarrying his former wife. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' words about divorce take into account that law in Deuteronomy. Jesus said, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus allows for divorce for the cause of adultery because adultery breaks the marriage covenant. Jesus provides a longer commentary on marriage and divorce in chapter 19 of Matthew's Gospel. Some Pharisees asked Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? In Jesus' day, rabbis de debated whether a man might divorce his wife for something minor, like burning a meal, 
or something far more serious, for example, like adultery. Jesus redirects the conversation, citing God's original intent expressed for marriage in Genesis chapter 2, 24. As a lifelong union between two people whom God joined together in a one flesh relationship. By the way, this is another way that Jesus teaches a righteousness which exceeds that of scribes and Pharisees. So the Pharisees who had asked the question about divorce <clears throat> respond to Jesus' comment about God's original intent for marriage as a lifelong union by saying, why then did Moses command us to give a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her? And Jesus responded, it was because you were so hard-hearted that Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. In other words, Jesus said it was not God's ideal will for any of us to divorce, but a merciful escape valve for flawed and sinful human beings. Now, in both of these readings that Leslie did for us from Matthew chapter 5 and 19, Jesus closely associates divorce and remarriage. And in terms of remarriage, British New Testament scholar R.T. France writes, modern discussions of divorce in the light of Jesus' teaching, sometimes suggests that Jesus recognized the necessity of divorce after adultery, but forbade remarriage. But such a view does not fit the Jewish context, where divorce consisted of the provision of a certificate which explicitly granted the right to remarry. Without that permission, it, it was not divorce. Divorce and the right to remarry are thus inseparable, he writes, and the Jewish world knew nothing of a legal separation which did not allow remarriage. Jesus' condemnation of remarriage as adultery is simply on the grounds that the divorce was not legitimate unless for the cause of adultery, and so the original marriage remains valid in the sight of God. So, friends, if we look at Matthew 19.9, Jesus says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for unchastity and marries another commits adultery. Jesus treats divorce and remarriage as a combined entity. Divorce is primarily that which fractures the marriage covenant, not remarriage. Remarriage simply provides hope for a new life after the sad reality of divorce. Remember the Old Testament divorce law was that once divorced, you could not remarry your wife anyway. So once a divorce happened, uh, remarriage, especially for the wife, was a necessity. What then is Jesus' message to us today about marriage? That from the very beginning, even before the gift of God's law, God intended the marriage covenant to be a lifelong relationship that it's precious and worth investing great effort to preserve, and that the breakup of a marriage inevitably involves sin. So if you're struggling in your marriage, get help. Find a therapist with Christian values and work to save your marriage. And by the way, a single case of adultery needn't always lead to the destruction of a marriage relationship. Damaging, yes. Completely destructive of a marriage, maybe but maybe not. What if the marriage can't be saved? 
Although divorce is not God's ideal will for any of us, it is not the unforgivable sin, and neither is remarriage. It takes two engaged and committed adults to make a marriage, but unfortunately only one dissatisfied partner to end it, leaving the other often feeling victimized and helpless. Although serious indeed, neither is adultery the unforgivable sin, not if there's repentance. Remember that God forgave a repentant King David after his adulterous affair with Bathsheba. In addition, according to John's gospel, Jesus refused to condemn the woman caught in the very act of adultery after an angry mob threw her at his feet and wanted to stone her to death. After rescuing her from that mob, at the end of that encounter, Jesus told her, go your way and from now on do not sin again. So adultery and or divorce and remarriage are not unforgivable. At the same time, when a marriage fails, we must accept responsibility for our part of that failure with deep anguish and repentance. With that attitude, there is indeed forgiveness from God and the opportunity for a new life, even in a new marriage offered by the gospel and by the God who makes all things new. While we want to obey all of Jesus' commands, today's teaching drives us, or at least drives me, to the grace of God, especially for those of us who, like myself, have been divorced. We realize that, like those in the Beatitudes upon whom Jesus pronounced blessing, we're not rich in spiritual resources, but are poor in spirit. We're not those who have achieved righteousness, but those who yearn to become righteous. We come face to face with the cold, hard truth that we're incapable of saving ourselves and desperately need Jesus' forgiving grace and the indwelling of God's Spirit to set us on the right path. May the Holy Spirit empower each of us to become those whose attitudes and behaviors please God as we grow in Christ's grace and seek to live as God's faithful people. Amen.